electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, live from separate locations. Welcome to Q3. Uh, futures have come off early morning lows as ADP shows private sector job growth. Of nearly 2.4 million, COVID cases remain a worry as eight states now have posted new highs. Crude's close to 40. Yields get a little more breathing room. Ten-year, 69 basis points. But, Jim, uh, looking over this release from Pfizer and BioNTech, um, which Meg was just uh, referencing, probably a reason we're seeing a bounce. We know that Pfizer is not a hype company. It's a big, conservative company. Uh, When it sees things that are not working, it is quick to say it. When it sees things that are working, it is long to say it. In other words, this is not a company that is a braggart company. So I am very surprised to see them come out this early. They must feel a level of confidence that is extraordinary versus what they typically do. David, you've known Pfizer for very long. You know that Pfizer is one of those companies that I guess you would regard as stodgy uh, and, and certainly not a company that likes to get ahead of itself. No, uh, you would have to put it in that category, I think. So it is interesting that they that this has been shared again, as Meg said. And as we know, 24 patients, Jim, is not a lot. Very positive. It would appear at this point. I think always important to mention, though, that when we talk about a vaccine, we are talking about the need for large scale trials as soon as possible, because, of course, there is always that risk that when you give it to millions of people, you want to understand if any of them are going to get sick, even though they were not sick. And so it is a different sort of a level in terms of safety and efficacy that you're dealing with, as opposed to perhaps an antiviral where you're taking it already because you are sick, Jim. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked that they do 24 out of 24, frankly. Uh, I, I know that we had the uh, uh, unfortunate experience in, in France of a drug that the president championed where it was very good numbers, but not peer reviewed. I know that we had the Moderna almost fiasco of the eight for eight. Uh, Pfizer, uh, it is just very surprising. Uh, they must have a, a better field than just 24 for 24. I know we hear from Meg, but uh, this is highly unlike Pfizer. Uh, I, I actually I can't believe that they're doing this uh, without uh, many, many more people and many, many more days. I guess they feel 24 for 24 is enough to be able to go for it. Uh, I want more information. <laughs> I frankly don't uh, just want to accept it like this, but the market will. And it's kind of a saved by Pfizer market from where we were just a few minutes ago. Let's bring uh, Meg back in here, Meg. We did get the vaccine guidelines from CDC yesterday. And in the release, Pfizer does say uh, if everything goes right, uh, expecting to make 100 million doses by the end of this year, uh, potentially more than 1.2 billion by the end of 21. 
Yeah, Carl. Uh, so just to give some context on uh, releasing these early data, I spoke with uh, Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, on Friday at the Milken conference. He said their policy wasn't to release the results until they had published them in a journal, but he did note that they had them in-house. And, you know, there's some question over, you have these data and they're not out there. The scientific community wants to see them. The investing community probably wants to see them. So what they've done is submitted to a journal. And while the journal is uh, getting ready to publish the data in a peer-reviewed form, uh, They're publishing this on a preprint website uh, that's not peer-reviewed, but this is uh, essentially what the scientific community has been doing during this pandemic to get information out quickly. And it is a lot more information uh, than we've seen for other vaccine candidates recently with just press releases of top-line data. So you can actually look through the manuscript of what they're reporting here. Uh, now, they tested this. This was a phase 1-2 study, so 45 patients total. On the two lower doses, there were 24 patients, and they saw those neutralizing antibody levels levels of 1.8 to 2.8 times uh, what you'd see in patients who've recovered from the disease. Uh, in terms of safety, they say no serious adverse events. They did see some fever in the higher dose, uh, the 100 microgram dose. Uh, they did see more sort of injection site reactions or other issues. So they decided the lower doses uh, worked well enough. Uh, they do give people two shots of this three weeks apart, and then they looked at the results about a week after that. So these are preliminary guys, but because of the speeds we're moving, they do say if they get regulatory approval, they plan to start a potentially 30,000 participant phase three in late July. We should also note this is only wow. one of four candidates that Pfizer has been testing along with its partner BioNTech. This is just the most advanced. So they are probably going to have more data on the other candidates. They'll select the best one and take that into the phase three in just a couple weeks, guys, the end of this month. Wow. Wow. You know, they're using uh, the uh, principal, uh, the NYU Langone uh, Vaccine Center, which I'm very familiar with, uh, certainly not someone that you would uh, say, hey, listen, we're going to release this. Are you OK? Uh, it would be more like, please don't release this if it were any doubt. I mean, I, I think that, that that look, there are a lot of five ones that are involved. Cincinnati Children's Hospital, University of Rochester, uh, the the uh, uh, Center for Vaccine Development Global Health in Baltimore. But uh, the one I'm familiar with is Langone, and they have been very reluctant to do anything that is a, that is at all hype. So, Meg, this is a very good group, and this is I'm looking at the pra- the paper that, that was released from uh, MedRx5, uh, but it, it's not idle. I mean, this is something that is uh, quite impressive, quite impressive. Yeah, it, it's exciting. Um, Pfizer's stock now up 7% this morning, guys. So I, I believe BioNTech is halted uh, right now. So its stock hasn't continued to move. Um, but early, um, hey, but promising hey Meg, data. Yeah. Meg, it's David. I mean, also worth reminding people of all the different efforts that are being made towards a vaccine. Another company that's not particularly promotional and is enormous is J&J. Uh, my understanding is they're moving towards uh, human trials sooner than they had anticipated for their candidates as well, having completed some animal trials on them as well. Yeah, we are going to see kind of a stacking up of major companies starting these phase three trials this summer. You know, Moderna being sort of the David in, in the Goliath uh, picture here starting in July, Pfizer end of July, AstraZeneca uh, potentially July, August. 
and Johnson & Johnson now saying September, and they've been accelerating their timelines uh, since the beginning. Um, so major companies getting into these large trials this summer. And unfortunately, given the, the trend in infection in the United States, they're going to have a lot of people to test this on and get efficacy results quickly if these bad trends in the U.S. continue. You know, Meg, uh, when I'm looking, this is uh, RNA, uh, obviously very premature, but same uh, kind of uh, same kind of way to go that Moderna's doing, obviously three times what Moderna had in terms of being able to uh, have a proof of concept. But at the same time, uh, let me ask you, why did they do this? Why did they do messenger RNA? Oh, why did Pfizer release this? I think people need to know the information. You know, there's probably a lot of pressure on them, uh, especially after the CEO told me on Friday in our uh, public interview that he had the data in-house and they were waiting to publish it in a scientific journal. You know, the timelines of science and publishing don't match up with the demands for information during a pandemic. That's something the entire scientific medical community has been struggling with. People get criticized for putting information out before it's been peer-reviewed, but then if they sit on it, they're criticized for sitting on information. So, you know, the, the same thing happened in the UK recovery trial with dexamethasone. They were criticized by doing, you know, medicine by press release. It's a slightly different situation because that drug you could use right away, whereas this is a vaccine. We're going to have to wait for it to be proven in, in larger trials. But there's just such appetite demand for information. And they are trying to, to publish this in a peer-reviewed way, and they've posted the manuscript. Meg, thanks for that. We're going to watch it. Obviously, uh, one of the big stories of the morning already, which was uh, full of news going in uh, to this announcement. Uh, Meg Terrell watching uh, Pfizer and BioNTech. Jim, is the advice to chase this? We've been down this road before with well, the likes of Moderna and even J&J. Well, let's leave it to this here. Uh, we present available data. This is uh, from the Pfizer. Present available data through 14 days after second dose in adults. Uh, 14 days. Uh, with everything we've seen with this thing so far, it has beaten every single attempt by any scientist to do anything. It has defeated us across the board. It is much more powerful than we think. Uh, and therefore, I think that this is uh, a, a glimmer of hope, a uh, glimmer of hope to chase Pfizer up two bucks. Well, remdesivir, how much did we chase Gilead that? And I was very excited about remdesivir because there were hospital readouts that it was perfect. So if you want to chase Pfizer, uh, you got to hope that someone else is even more enthusiastic uh, than you are, uh, because to me, 14 days RNA, I don't know about you guys, but w how many times, how many times have we seen someone say bingo? And how many times have we been defeated by obviously a pathogen that is far more reaching than anybody's mind that we have so far? Yes. But that said, we do know these efforts towards vaccines are very serious, being made by so many different companies. And back to your original point, Jim, this is not a promotional company. No, Pfizer, that's true. Typically. And as Meg made clear, there is a desire for the information. People can do with it what they wish. Wish, Of course, you can see the impact it's having on Pfizer stock price right now, adding an overall positive tone to a market that appeared ready to open uh, down, although not uh, sharply lower. Um, we are hopeful we're going to have a vaccine. Right. Let's call it. I don't know, Jim. You know, I mean, something that we can believe is going to be available in mass. Let's call it by the spring of next year, given the manufacturing capabilities that are out there. Uh, you still need, as Meg said, these large trials, right? Right. 30,000 people. That's going to take a while. 
Um, although, again, to her point, unfortunately, there are plenty of people to enroll in those trials at this point. Well, you have to obviously not necessarily be sick either. You, right. also, you want to uh, be fine as well. But but you need to understand how, how it's going to uh, play out in these COVID patients. So we'll see. Right. And, and look, Carl, look, I don't want to be a killjoy. I'm just saying that we had uh, we had one yesterday come out. It was 96 percent effective. And then uh, the stock immediately uh, lost 10 percent after spiking up. And uh, I, and we don't know the, the BioNTech that as well as we know Pfizer. But but Dave and I are both in the same camp, which is that this is Pfizer is one of the big ones. OK, you're from Pfizer, you're from Merck, you're from Bristol, you're from J&J. They are not companies that have never produced uh, big drugs. They can do it. And Pfizer can do it in scale. I, look, I want to be hopeful. Uh, but I also to be realistic. I mean, how many times have we felt that, you know what, we've got the magic bullet? Maybe this is the magic bullet. But 24 for 24, uh, it, I'm just surprised. I think Meg is right. There's a lot of pressure to be able to reveal that you got something good. Uh, do you want to go take it? Do you want to be number 25? Uh, I don't want to be number 25. I, I think that you need to be number 25,000. And so let's uh, hope that it works. You have to hope for the best, but prepare for the worst when it comes to the vaccine. Uh, certainly the stance that Fauci took uh, yesterday in some testimony, Jim, which, of course, rang uh, loudly uh, at the close yesterday in which he talked about the possibility, the worry that we might be posting not 40,000 new cases a day, but closer to 100,000. Here's what he said. I can't make an accurate prediction, but it is going to be very disturbing. I will guarantee you that. Because when you have an outbreak in one part of the country, even though in other parts of the country they're doing well, they are vulnerable. I made that point very clearly last week at a press conference. We can't just focus on those areas that are having the surge. It puts the entire country at risk. We are now having 40 plus thousand new cases a day. I would not be surprised if we go up to 100,000 a day if this does not turn around. And so I am very concerned. Wow. That's a big reason why Goldman this morning or yesterday, Jim, says that 40 percent of the reopenings uh, that were in place have either now been paused or reversed. Right. Look, this is about testing. Uh, We're out. Once again, good piece in Atlantic. Atlantic's been right all along, negative and right, uh, saying that the the big ones. Remember, we allowed, we allowed all these companies to merge. There's really there's LabCorp and there's Quest. What a country! We only have two companies that can. I mean, it's not just the government that has completely screwed it up. It's the private sector. We only have two real companies. We got Bio. Look, we have Bio reference too, and Bio, uh, and you can see that Opco goes up pretty much regularly, but they're maxed out. Uh, so we're back to the three to five day thing. Uh, we're back to trying to, except for in some areas like New York, uh, New Jersey, it, 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 once again, the backlog's too great. So you have a, a non-mass, non-social distance population that exploded uh, and that everybody needs testing. And the test companies, uh, they're done. There's no more. They have no more capacity. So once again, uh, we've revealed ourselves as one of the more stupid countries in, on Earth. And it's really something not to be proud of. How the heck did we get to the point where there's really two and a half companies that actually do testing? Now, someone else could say, yeah, but we've got this, this, this. I'm right. <laughs> That's, That's what made I do. the plane right there, Jim. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a break. There's a lot of corporate news to get to this morning. Obviously, FedEx from last night, General Mills, Macy's, Facebook, United, Tesla, Beyond Meat. We'll get to all of that when we get into the B block when Squawk in the Street continues. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. The ad boycott at Facebook takes effect starting today. The company has agreed to meet with organizers of the boycott, according to what a company spokesperson told Reuters. Uh, Jim, in the last 24 hours, uh, they've agreed to a third-party audit on how they handle hate speech. They've reorganized some algos to prioritize transparent authorship of uh, news articles. Uh, They've banned Boogaloo. Are they starting to get the message? Yeah, I think so. Look, I think that the message has been so loud and clear. The message has been in the form of an avalanche. Uh, mostly because I think some of these companies are afraid, uh, justifiably, of a boycott. Uh, And I think that what Mark Zuckerberg needed to do was to come in with a third party that you'd have to listen to, uh, and that you'd have to talk to the groups that are upset, uh, and then figure out what uh, is a good policy that would include both the Patagonia, which I regard as being a hardliner, a Ben & Jerry's that's a hardliner, but also just regular companies. I mean, companies like Levi with Chip Berg. Bring Chip Berg in. Bring Kevin Johnson and say, guys, listen, I might have screwed up. Maybe I left a particular post up. It was too long. Uh, I want to do it right. I want to follow the third party audit. And can he get out of this, Mark? You can get out of anything if you change your mind. The country's a forgiving country, but you got to change your mind. You got to be able to say, I renounce what I did. Uh, And if you can't, then all, all is not forgiven. So I think these are the right steps. And I'm willing to say that given the fact that yesterday uh, I I threw him under the uh, the about 17 different Greyhound buses. Yeah, yes, you did. It was an interesting conversation we had, Jim. And of course, we did make the point that Zuckerberg is a businessman. He will respond as he needs to to make sure his business isn't impaired. But I've been trying to talk to uh, to investors who are positive on Facebook, and there are quite a few of them to understand why the stock really hasn't reacted that dramatically. Now, that said, it was down a lot on Friday. I know, down, what, almost 8% on Friday. Um, but, you know, here's what you hear. as $80 billion of ad revenues at this company. By the way, the stock is, what, at about a 20 multiple on gap right. earnings, still growing very quickly. The top 100 advertisers were about 20% of its overall, and now they're as little as 10%. It's not about brand building on this platform. It's about direct response. And for those advertisers, small and medium-sized businesses that are looking for direct response, it's the most effective platform. The return on invested capital they get is far higher than they do in any other platform. And so they aren't going to go away. And conceivably, for those big advertisers who are looking more towards brand building, it's unclear how long they can be away from the platform as well. So, you know, you do... It's important, I think, to hear the other side of this, which is, yeah, this is not going to be that important. Zuckerberg will do what he needs to do around the edges. But ultimately, it's really about a direct response platform in which the advertisers are quite happy given the returns that they get, not to mention the coming wave of social commerce that people talk about. You know, you follow somebody on Instagram. They wear clothes that you like. 
and then you buy through their Instagram account in some fashion and Facebook being able to take advantage of what will be, the, uh, again, those who are bullish on it believe, a growing uh, area. Oh, yeah, you're right. Look, this, I think the shape, the uh, chops was brilliant. Stock had its big, big move after shops. I think what they intend to do to be able to support some of the shops, I suspect that they're doing some uh, things with my, uh, minority shops that I think will be very positive. Uh, I think they had to get, they have to get this behind them, if only just because uh, it's like Cambridge Analytica. It just kept hanging out there, and it just makes it so that there's investigations and maybe distractions, and also a sign that perhaps you just don't, you can't trust them. And I think eight million of advertisers think you can trust them. And they've been uh, the way to be able to create business. Uh, it is the way to be able to create small and medium-sized businesses. And I think they understand that. That's their ambassadors. At the same time, look, they're people. A- and people do not want to be on the other side of history. And I think that whether they're making a lot of money or not, Zuckerberg is sensitive to that. Or why bring in a third party? Uh, why bring in someone? Uh, why bring in the, uh, the people who have been most critical? Uh, I, I believe that this is the, uh, the dialogue is incredibly important. But yes, David, there's, there hasn't been much of a dent to earnings because unfortunately for Facebook, if you're a Facebook shareholder, or Facebook work there, they have not been able to really crack that much of consumer products. Uh, there are obviously some very big contracts, but he's making the moves. He's making the moves that you need to do to get back on even keel. In the meantime, you're right. The eight million uh, advertisers that are direct response, they need Facebook as much as Facebook needs them. All right. Well, watch that, guys. Um, When we come back, we'll talk about two of the big stories in the so-called recovery uh, regarding the American economy. That's FedEx from last night. And, of course, United adding some 25,000 flights in August. Back in a moment. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Futures were down about 250 overnight, have recovered uh, in part thanks to Pfizer with this release out at the top of the hour about early vaccine data showing no real safety sirens and uh, true immune response on a small trial uh, and some pretty good uh, disclosure and detail in there as well. We'll talk more about it when we get the opening bell in six minutes. Welcome back. Let's squeeze in a mad dash as we get you ready for an opening bell two minutes from now. FedEx, certainly a focus this morning, Jim. Okay, when we look at what is positive this morning, United is positive. Yes, we want to hope 24 for 24 Pfizer is positive. I thought FedEx was great. And one of the reasons why FedEx is great is because it's been so bad. Uh, this was a very good conference call. I happen to be a big fan of Fred Smith. I think he's just a remarkable guy. He created the company, but it's been bogged down by so many different things. The European acquisition's not, not been that good. Obviously, trading talks with China really hurt them. But, David, 
This country has gone, in a few minutes, it's gone e-commerce. I have Williams-Sonoma on tonight, uh, another company. That just, it's e-commerce, e-commerce, e-commerce. You go from 18% e-commerce to 28% e-commerce in a quarter, you're going to make a lot of money, particularly if you have good ground service, uh, which is what FedEx had. Also, they uh, because there weren't a lot of, uh, of uh, carriage to Europe uh, th- where they would normally load up packages that went to FedEx. David, this was a quarter which shows you that there's a great amount of grit at FedEx. And if things get better, they're going to take UPS off on this too, by the way. Uh, they're, they're now prepared. Uh, and when they get Europe together, which is not going to be, unfortunately, 2022, I hope, I hope that they're under-promising there, then you're going to see that even in a, a time where we're supposed to be in a terrible recession, they can have good numbers because this is a now one of the best stay-at-home stocks. This is a really nice turn, and it's a for-real turn. And I think that of the three things, United, Pfizer, and this, this is what I would say is worth betting on. All right. Well, that is quite a move that we're going to see. And as you point, we'll keep a close eye on UPS, see if it benefits at all. This is going to quiet the talk about how long Mr. Smith has been doing his job? I think so. Or do you want to go out at a high? I don't know. Uh, what I liked about yeah. it was that the last few conference calls, you, you just detected a kind of like a weariness, not this one. This was a, a congratulatory tone, and it deserved it. The analysts did not turn on FedEx. The last few calls have been unruly. This time, they liked them. <laughs> yeah, Cowan goes 167 on FedEx. Guys, there's the opening bell. Uh, Dun and Bradstreet on the left. Uh, Anthony Jabor is going to join us later on this morning as they uh, highlight the company's IPO. First day of trading. They're going to trade under DNB. And there's a look uh, at the NASDAQ as well. Uh, Jim, as far as uh, FedEx goes, uh, no guidance from them or from Macy's again uh, or from uh, Constellation Brands or from Capri. That's Is that a problem? You know what? I think that it's almost uh, it's become... Uh, with the exception of uh, a Crown Castle last night, uh, a standard procedure. Initially, it really hurt stocks. Uh, and now we just say, of course. I mean, what the hell are you supposed to do? I mean, Constellation was saved by the uh, Mexican bell. They put they were not going to be able to get the beer that they wanted. And now that they are, I mean, I think it's OK. Capri doesn't really have a clue about what it's doing anyway. And uh, Macy's, well, well, what are you going to do? I mean, you got a $3 billion charge. I mean, $3 billion here, $3 billion th- there. This has become a very, very difficult market if you're in retail to be able to forecast anything. So I think we're in a new world where if you can forecast, you're in some sort of business that's basically a utility. Uh, so I, I, uh, I don't blame him uh, from not being able to take a forecast. I put out a forecast. I do feel, uh, Carl, that we're at that juncture now where maybe um, you, you're done with forecasting. You don't have to do it anymore. Look at Constellation, and they're putting up, they put up a really good number. And previously they told you, listen, we're, we may have a short beer shortage for Sanco de Mayo. Well, they cleared it, and people like it. We mentioned a United gym uh, during the cluster there, uh, leading the S&P this morning. Uh, as we said, adding 25,000 flights in August uh, brings the schedule to about 40 percent of 2019 levels. You're talking a lot of international Shanghai, uh, Lima, Peru, Frankfurt, although it's not clear if you're an American, if you can actually go there, Jim. But that's uh, and then Phil LeBeau adding some color about uh, uh, guidance and travel trends as well. Phil, let's get to you. Uh, Carl, two notes. There is a conference call that is going on right now with United Executives talking about the additional flights that they're planning uh, in August. The near-term note is this. They are 
saying that they are seeing a flattening in demand within the last week in terms of travel as the number of COVID-19 cases has risen, as a number of states and cities have said we're either going to hit pause or we're going to pull back on reopening. So that's something to watch closely. Not a surprise that people who maybe were planning to take a trip, whether it's to Florida, Texas, wherever, have decided, whoa, hold on, I'm not going to make that trip. So that has happened, a flattening out in demand. And with regards to transatlantic travel, they, not surprisingly, because all the borders are closed down, what they're seeing on the few flights that they have going across, non-Americans going over to Europe, Americans who are in Europe coming back over here. And we'll be curious to see whether or not that changes if things open up a bit a little bit later on this summer as United decides it's going to be adding about 25,000 flights uh, in August, most of those domestic, but also some international. Phil, is this, could this be because the airlines, even without the FAA uh, adopting this, have saying, listen, you got to wear a mask. So uh, it makes it so that you do feel a little more confident that you're not going to get COVID from the person next to you. Yeah, I think that United and all of the airlines, when I talk with the executives, they're pretty confident that now they're done with the, the political discussion about wear a mask, <laughs> not wear a mask. Their whole attitude is you're going to be safe when you're on board with us. And part of that safety message is you wear a mask. It is the best way of preventing the spread of COVID-19. And that's an industry-wide approach that they're taking. You saw the video from Scott Kirby earlier this week. I wouldn't be surprised if you see similar marketing approaches from other airlines as well. Basically, it's what you've said, Jim. If you're going to fly, you want to be safe. And the safest thing to do is wear a mask. Uh, yeah, I think his ad campaign is great. So I know you know Scott really well. Uh, that was a very gutsy ad campaign in, in an era where the president's just featuring social distancing. And uh, there's a lot of people in this country think that masks represent weakness. So it was, I think, a, a, a bold move that made me feel like, well, wait a second. Maybe I'm not going to die because I fly. Right. And they're done with the debate. And I think that's a smart move. I think the debate is it's going to go on. You and I both know that. I think the airlines are like, we're, we're beyond that. It's, right. it's, it's a matter of this is the rule. This is how it goes. Terrific. Just terrific. Carl, back to you. Yeah, well, watch, watch for the impact on the transports, Jim, uh, as they are doing quite well today, along with Tesla. 1100 now, Jim, as we crossed the 200 billion market cap level yesterday. Oh, what the hell? You, look, uh, now we're waiting for China. We've got some numbers coming up, actual numbers. Uh, that, but I, I think that what you can always say, even if the numbers in the United States are disastrous, as some people are telling me, you've got, you got China. And China, well, I mean, they love it. Yeah, we'll get some delivery numbers uh -huh. later in the week. China is a story, Jim. We, I mean, the Hong Kong uh, security law goes into effect. They make 200 arrests on the first day. Uh, the U.K. says this is a clear and serious violation of their joint resolution. They're going to offer a uh, path to citizenship for British nationals overseas. But we're not talking about China the way we used to. No. I, 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 China's baffling, isn't it? Uh uh, I'm just, do we have a Cold War? Hey, David, what do you think? When you get up and you read whatever that comes out of the White House, it's terrible. Uh, and then there then seems to be what we need him again because business is really good. Uh, what, what do you think's going on? Uh, I think we're having a very difficult relationship, and I think it bears very close watching, as we have for the last couple of years, as the two sides try to... Uh, hammer out a trade agreement. Of course, then we got that phase one. We'll see whether they follow through with the farm purchases. But I think, 
It's more along the lines of the, of, um, the fights over intellectual property, uh, Huawei, ZTE, and just the general nature of two powers, uh, one in ascendance to a certain extent in terms of its economy and one having a somewhat difficult time, at least right now, uh, and the fights that are going to come, Jim. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, across the, it's across the aisle. One of the only things that unites both parties, I think, is sort of opposition to things uh, currently as they stand with China. So you got Trump on one hand, but I think you could expect under a Biden administration no significant changes uh, in terms of at least that oppositional mode that we're currently in. Yeah, but people don't realize, I mean, Nancy Pelosi's been, uh, Speaker Pelosi has been incredibly tough on China. Uh, Biden, very tough on China. I, I felt that at a certain point, China would say, you know what, it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. Uh, but one devil's a lot more mercurial than the other. Uh, I do think that when you have uh, a, a spokesman, uh, Peter Navarro, come out and say, listen, it's done, and then the president tweet otherwise, it does get us a little bit confused when you have people, a high-level administration, saying, listen, uh, he's Joe Stalin. Uh, she's so Joe Stalin. Again, we don't know really where we stand. We have William Sonoma on tonight. What are no. they talking about? They're talking about trying to move as much business out of China as they can. That's the same thing RH has been saying. There are a lot of companies that really don't want to uh, make things in China. But the, I, look, I, I, every day I try to figure out whether we're trying to make peace or trying to make war. And I think that that makes it very difficult to do business in China. Uh, I don't know. If I were a business person, I'd still be pulling out of China very rapidly. Yeah, but again, it comes back to that That point that you were making even with Tesla. You know, you're talking about an enormous population that continues to grow in wealth uh, and that has uh, growing spending power. And so if you are a corporation that makes and sells things like cars or anything uh, anything else, you you certainly don't want to. Not no. have that market be a You're part right. of no, your GM, addressable market. Look, GM trades on their numbers. Uh, Marriott was brought down by China in terms of the, uh, the numbers, and American can certainly have a resurgence. Uh, FedEx is very, very important. We know the usuals. We have Micron yesterday. Micron's not really sure what it can sell and what it can't sell. Uh, the ones that people, the one that, of course, that comes most to mind is Apple. Uh, and uh, Apple's got a lot to win or lose still. I don't know. Look, this is some day, isn't it? This was supposed to be yeah. the best day of the year. It's the best day of the year. I mean, kind of a reversal. It's certainly of the making of a very positive day when it was looking pretty negative yeah. Before, yeah. at three o'clock. Your, your point about the chips, Jim, is a good one in light of the fact that it's leading uh, the S&P lower. And Xilinx, as you point out, Micron, a, a lot of their uh, better than expected guidance was thanks to loosening restrictions on China. The only thing doing worse than chips at the moment, Jim, is General Mills, uh, which had some interesting numbers. North American retail up 36 uh, but food service and convenience stores down 24. We've talked at length about that share shift. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got them on tonight. I, 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 they didn't blow it away. You know, $1.10 versus $1.06, uh, 5.02 in rev, a billion rev versus 4.98. I had ConAgra on last night. ConAgra had far superior numbers. They actually uh, said some things to General Mills about how uh, pet food had been stockpiled, and then they saw that uh, decline uh, or at least you know, slow, slowing. In, in, in I was quite surprised about that. Uh, they've got some high-end pet food. So uh, they had so much to talk up. They had cereal and baking. And I, people, it, we've become a baking country. Uh, TikTok is, it, it features bakers all the time. And TikTok, I'm trying to learn anything here, guys. But uh, I, I expected more from Mills. Maybe that they can tell a better story, but 
They caused, caused an, they said an unprecedented boost in demand, but they didn't say it continued the whole quarter. Uh, I, it's not, it, by comparison, it's not that good. ConAgra was on fire yesterday. Wow. Chef Boyardee, David, remember I told you it was your favorite? David, it's up more than 60%. It was. The Faber household it must was. be just, how much do you stockpile it? You know, I, I did stockpile some of it early on, um, uh, but not as much, not as much. And in fact, we've sort of been pantry deloading now from those earlier days when we uh, when we were loading up, uh, given that uh, you can get a hold of what you need in the supermarkets at present. So thankfully, no more to tang? all those no more people tang? out there who are working so hard. No more. No, never went tang. You and I have had this conversation. I was a Hawaiian punch guy, remember? And then you always want to give me a punch and. Yeah, yeah, there it is. There it is. I'm sorry we can't do it in person. Remember, um, remember me? Guys, I, I wanted to hit. I do remember you. I'm going to come see you one of these days, too, and maybe even get scarily close to you. So be careful. Um, I did want to hit a few things, guys. Uh, our parent company up this morning on this uh, somewhat unusual uh, upgrade from Bernstein. They write an open letter to Brian Roberts, the company CEO. Of course, I'm talking about Comcast saying, hey, you should spin out NBC and Sky together to create a standalone entertainment leader that's optimized to boldly accelerate investment in programming technology and strategic M&A while freeing cable to invest in capacity, products, subscribers, share repurchases, and dividends. What does this get to? Well, something that has been at least you would imagine a frustration. Take a look at Charter, right? A pure play cable company that has done extraordinarily well. Comcast has an even bigger footprint, an even bigger business, but is not getting the multiple recognition perhaps it deserves. Some would say because it's being held back by, well, NBCU uh, and and those businesses. What Bernstein says is a spin out would result in a materially higher combined equity value, the old shrink to grow. Is this something Comcast is really thinking about? I don't know. You can imagine Brian Roberts thinks about everything. Let's just leave it at that. All right. He's way ahead of you when it comes to thinking about ways to increase shareholder value or what the next deal will be or anything like that. Uh, And in fact, when I have heard from bankers who are always pitching these ideas um, is the idea, well, could you ever spin NBCU if AT&T was willing to spin Time Warner? and put it all together and create a massive entertainment company. Obviously, you'd need some divestitures. Clearly, there'd be some antitrust questions. But that's when this idea comes up, not necessarily as just a, a pure spin. Um, but it's got the stock up this morning, almost uh, at, was briefly at 40 bucks a share, guys. So I did want to mention, uh, mention that. Well, David, didn't you think it was funny the way it was like an open letter to, to Brian Roberts? Yeah. It was signed. It yeah, was I did. Personal. I did. I know. It's a little bit of a gimmick there. But listen, it got our attention, right? So I guess it worked. <laughs> I did the um, same thing. You know. I saw it, I said, oh, I better read the whole yeah. letter. This could be important. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, and again, this is not necessarily new. You can, And you know that, I mean, he's thought of everything. And again, this is why, you know, you, we, those reports sometimes, companies thinking about, companies think about everything. They're way ahead of everybody, usually, especially companies like ours, when it comes to M&A or things like that. So... Uh, who knows? Speaking of M&A, guys, quick update on eBay because there was some um, press about that as well. You know, the sale of the classifieds business continues uh, um, and it seems to be going fairly well. I'm hearing mid-July is when they would hope to really know who's going to be the winner for that business. But don't expect a price tag to be in the double digits. I've seen some of that in print. What I'm hearing from people familiar with the situation is while you do have at least three active bidders there, including private equity and partnership with some other companies as well, 
closer to about $8 billion. Maybe a little bit over is where they are right now. So the market may be getting a bit ahead of itself in hopes that it would be a bigger number. But, of course, the key, Jim, will be what it leaves behind. Remember, they've already sold StubHub. By the way, the timing on that was about as good as it possibly could have been. Right. They got that deal closed before the pandemic. Uh, and then they will sell classifieds. Uh, and then the question will be, what about the marketplace business? Can it grow organically again, or do they need to sell that as well, which essentially would mean selling all of you? The numbers are good there in that business. In the general, uh, of course, of course merchandise uh, has, volume has moved up there rather substantially. Good quarter yeah. outcome. Guys, it's been a remarkable week for yields and curves. Let's get to Rick Santelli. 20 seconds Yes, Carl, uh, in about 15 seconds, of course, we're going to get our final read on market PMI. Now, this series only goes back to 2017. We do have a reading of 49.6. That is the mid-month. We'll be altering that. But before we get to that really quickly, what the markets are responding to, ADP had a revision of 5,825,000 jobs from a minus number of 2 point, uh, what was it, 2 point, 369 million to positive 3.065 million. That, and then when you add in the current month, 8,194,000 jobs were added in two months. The number's out, 49.8. So we take 49.6, we toss it, we replace it with 49.8, which is a nice rise from the all-time low, which was April at 36.1. Now, if you look at a two-day of 10s, you can clearly see the way rates have jumped. And they started to jump, of course, when we started to contemplate that huge revision when Steve Leisman brought us the number at 815 Eastern. But it is even more than that. It is the lead into the employment report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics tomorrow. We did the same thing last month. Mathematically, many think you're just going to see improvement on jobs for a while. We're going to have to see how many come back considering the amount of reopenings and some of the inertia on current reopenings. But no matter how you slice it, it's going to be a big number. Now, if you look at a two-day boom, so I go across the pond to, to prove a point how much of our markets are tied together as everybody tries to spy each other's economy to see how the comeback is going. And finally, the dollar index. You know, last Tuesday, what was that, the 23rd, we touched unchanged on the year. You see it on the left-hand side of your chart there. And basically, we firmed up, and now we've been hovering about a penny above that. So we're up one penny on the year. The point is, is that is the equities correct? Most likely, the dollar index is going to continue to slip. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. Rick, we'll see you in 15 minutes for uh, ISM. We'll take a break here as uh, we kick off the month of July and the third quarter. Don't go anywhere. Check out the S&P gainers. A lot of transports here. In fact, transports are having their best day since the end of May. FedEx up 16 is on pace for its best day ever. Going back to the IPO in 1978. We're back in just a moment. Market has been starved for some uh, good vaccine news. And Pfizer up four, Jim. Now BioNTech reopening up 12 is going to get people's attention once again. Yeah, again, I mean, look, it is fabulous that it's 24 for 24. We do one peer review. Uh, a lot of people were critical uh, of people in the news who went positive on something uh, before, they re- before they said peer review may be the most important thing. Uh, but this is being done uh, by NYU Langone. It's one of the uh, uh, hospitals involved. They're very rigorous. And Pfizer's a very conservative company. So I think that hope is good. 
this is let, not hype, but at the same time, we've got to recognize that it is very premature. And we did the same thing with Moderna when it was eight for eight. This is three times better. But uh, those of us who got excited about Moderna, I did not. I did not. But those who got excited about Moderna being eight for eight were punished soon after. There's a look at uh, yeah. There's a yes. look at BioNTech up 13, Jim. So you're not putting it in the Moderna. A release camp. The, the no, whole stat news. Uh, <laughs> no, unless Pfizer sells, unless Pfizer and their executives sell a lot of stock. I mean, Pfizer right, doesn't right. do right. Pfizer doesn't do that. Uh, I thought that Moderna uh, was. Um, I thought that was one of the situations was premature information. I call that. Uh, pre- uh, but I do think that Pfizer is a real company, and they must have something. But I just don't want people to get carried away because every time we get carried away, what has happened? But it's better than nothing. And I'm sure hoping that that it's that it goes 2400 for 2400. Wouldn't that be something? Hey, look, who would ever think that Tesla would surpass Toyota market cap? So maybe anything could happen. Two hundred five billion dollars. Tesla. Right. Bigger than Exxon. Uh, Guys, a quick break. We're back in a moment. I think American business has made a lot of progress, Joe. I think the events of the last three weeks have caused all of us to pause and say, is it time to step up our game? Is there more that can be done? You know, we at AT&T, we've been very diligent at ensuring we have good representation of African-Americans on our board. And I think it starts there. And if, if you don't get that part right, then it doesn't flow down into the organization. But is there more that AT&T can do? Absolutely. Guys, I, I don't know if you had a chance to catch that interview with Randall Stevenson. Of course, we've heard from him for many, many years. Today, by the way, he becomes executive chairman. John Stanky steps up as CEO of AT&T. But I thought he was particularly forthcoming on these issues. And he made the point that these last few weeks have been like unlike anything he has ever seen in terms of the response internally as well and from his own employees as to what's going on and the changes that they want to see. Uh, and he sounded very much committed to it. I thought it was an interesting interview, and I thought he was particularly strong uh, this morning, was Mr. Stevenson. Perhaps freed up by the fact that he doesn't have to worry as much about the day-to-day at AT&T. It's Thanky's problem now. But, but he and Chuck Robbins after, I mean, this is dirt, deeds, money, uh, meetings. You're right. I mean, this is something I've been it, – it, it's happening – it is happening at a, a breakneck speed that corporate America is, is, uh, is changing. You just got to keep the fire underneath them, right? Yes, and that's the question, I think, Carl. You know, will this be sustained? Keep asking, is it different this time? The answer seems to be, yes, it is. But let's see, a month from now, a year from now, what, in fact, has really right. changed. Yeah, indeed. We'll stay on that story uh, without a doubt, David. Uh, Jim, let's get to stop trading. I know you're watching this initiation on uh, Caterpillar. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is one of those, again, it's kind of like what happens with FedEx. I mean, this is a Deutsche Bank saying, do not overcomplicate things. Machinery tends to outperform at this this part of the cycle. Uh, This is Caterpillar recommendation. They're doing it ahead of anything good happening at Caterpillar. Also, by the way, uh, Facebook going up in part because uh, the 1030 statement coming out about uh, Facebook business blog that shows where they are and where they're going. I think they're trying as uh, they're trying like everybody else, uh, but they're behind and they're trying to catch up. I think that's important. And the third party news is incredibly important. They got to get someone who is not beholden, who can come in and say, listen, you got to do this. And that way there can be discussions of more meaning. Uh, and tonight we've got 
uh, Williams-Sonoma, which had an unbelievable online quarter. Constellation, which is coming back. Of course, that's Modelo and Corona. And then we got to talk to Jeff, Jeff Hamning because uh, General Mills has been the hottest food stock and it's cool. So, wow, what a lot. This was some show. Jeez. It's been, yeah, hope for it's been some week, some, yeah. some first half, uh, and Pfizer is a, a big story today, Jim. We'll t- see you tonight, Mad okay, Money, thank you. 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.